All right, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We will be reading Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 this morning as we talk about the meaning of Palm Sunday. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word from Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, that you have not hidden yourself to us, but rather shown us who you are and what you're like and our desperate need for you and your full commitment to us in Christ. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us now, that you would open our eyes to the majesty of the Lord Jesus in this passage. Would you uh, stir up a a deeper love uh, for him in our hearts? Would you... Uh, stir up uh, more commitment and would you put those things in our heart that we might love him more and follow him more faithfully and experience the blessedness of being under his wonderful rule as our king now we thank you for the truth of the gospel that you have uh, reconciled us to you not through what we do but through the grace uh, that you've extended to those who believe through the finished work of your Son on the cross. And so we pray now, as those who believe in you, who trust you, who have received the free gift of salvation through faith, would you now work in us and through us that we might be strengthened and excited to take the good news of the gospel to both our neighbors and the nations. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think about it, you can pray for me. I'm waiting for... A phone call that may or may not come in. Uh, a number of days ago, I got a message through Facebook from a guy that I went to high school with. And um, he simply asked a question out of the blue. And this is somebody that I haven't talked to in over like, five years. Um, okay, so over 20-some years. Um, but I haven't talked to him since high school. And even in high school, we weren't necessarily friends. We weren't enemies, but you know, we never really hung out. And so randomly through Facebook, I get this message from him, and it was this very short uh, statement or question, really. He said, 
In order to provide for my family, I need to work. In order to work, I need to be away from my family. I can't figure out this balance. It's a riddle to me. What should I do? And I was just kind of blown away that after all these years and having not spoken in between, that he reached out to me with that. And I got really excited to talk to him about the Lord and to talk to him about, you know, he's asking basically about a work-life balance. And I got really excited to talk to him. And I wrote this really long response. It was like 40 pages. And uh, I was talking to our interns. And they said, maybe, maybe just offer your phone number, see if he'll give you a call. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a better plan. Um, so I responded to this old acquaintance with, that's a great question. I'd love to talk to you about that. Why don't you give me a call? And I gave him my phone number. And I'm hoping that he calls. Um, not because if he calls, I can say, here's the three steps to a work-life balance that makes everything wonderful. But rather, I can offer him something way better. If, if he calls, I can, I can offer him Jesus. I can offer him the one who has transformed my life. And I know it would transform his should he uh, believe in him and submit himself to his rule. And so, you know, think about that. Like the, he, wants, he wants to understand a work-life balance, but there's a deeper longing that he has, that we all have. Um, we long to flourish. We have this deep longing to have a full life, to feel whole, to feel complete. And that's really the deeper longing that he's wrestling with, uh, to whom Jesus is the answer as well. In fact, there's an article I was reading recently, and the author was saying that really if you look at all throughout history, what human beings have been chasing after and pursuing is the concept of flourishing, that, that fullness of life. Uh, and he says that uh, there is one meta-theme or meta-concept that appears with remarkable tenacity and consistency across times and worldviews. He says this idea or theme can be identified as human flourishing. How is it that we can actually begin to flourish in life? He goes on to say that whether it is Stoicism or Epicureanism or Islam or Platonism or New Atheism or Christianity or ancient worship of Baal and Asherah or Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now or Buddhism or Positive Psychology or the Beachbody Exercise Company or Judaism, whatever the worldview, whatever the philosophy, he says the bedrock motivation and telos or end goal for humanity is for life and for life more abundant. And so I think what he's connecting with is something that we can all connect with. We all have this deep longing to flourish, yet we can't bring it about as hard as we may try. And you may wonder, like, what does all this have to do with Palm Sunday? Everything. This has everything to do with Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday is the day in Jesus' earthly life and ministry when he went public about the fact that he is king. Now, if you're familiar with the story in the Gospels, Jesus kept it a secret, told his disciples and people whom he healed, don't tell anybody who I am. Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. And then finally on Palm Sunday, he goes public. He makes it abundantly clear that he's king. And what's so powerful about this is not only does he show us that he is king, but he shows us what kind of king uh, he is. He shows us what he is like. And I just absolutely love this and the whole of Scripture and the way that it presents Jesus as 
a king who not only rescues us from the penalty of sin, he not only delivers us from the judgment that we deserve for our sin and secures our eternity with God, but he also is presented as this righteous king who rules over his people in such a way that they flourish. And so that's the key for us to really understand and and embrace and enjoy the meaning of Palm Sunday is it's the demonstration, the public demonstration of Jesus being our king. And Jesus is the one true king whose rule brings about flourishing. Okay, What the world has longed for throughout the entirety of its existence is what we find in Christ when Christ is our king. So that'll be our focus this morning, that Jesus is the one true king whose rule brings about flourishing. And we'll talk about that in three ways. I want to talk about Jesus is the reliable king. Okay, we'll see that when he says something's going to happen, it happens. Second, we'll see that Jesus is the humble king. His his ride into Jerusalem is so different than any world leader we would ever imagine. Okay, so he's a reliable king, he's a humble king. And third, Jesus is the effective king, that his rule really does produce transformation and flourishing in our lives. And I I can't wait to get to that part uh, because I want to show you something in Zechariah you may have not seen before, but you'll have to wait. All right, so let's let's talk about Jesus as this true king under whose rule we flourish. Let's look at the reliability of Jesus. Look at verses 2 through 6 and just notice that that what he says is going to happen, it, it happens. And it's no small thing. Notice that Jesus tells his disciples to go and to untie a donkey in verses 2 through 6. And then he says, when the people ask you what you're doing, you tell them that the Lord has need of it and they'll let you go, right? That's what he said would happen. And then what happens? Exactly that. They go, there's the donkey, they untie it. People say, hey, what are you doing? And they say the password, the Lord has need of it, and the people let them go, right? So exactly what he said would happen, happens. And this is not some incidental little thing. It's an important aspect of the story because it ties into the reality that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of, the God, of, of God, right? He's, he's the one through whom we, we fully know who God is. And so in this, we see that when God says something's going to happen, it happens. And we see that in the way that when Jesus said this would happen, it happened. He was fulfilling prophecy, okay? That's why he's so reliable. He's, he's fulfilling prophecy, things that have been planned out throughout the history of the world. Think about this. Look at Genesis 49. I have it on the screen for you. Uh, sometimes we don't realize that even in instructing them to untie this colt, that was part of showing the reliability of God. That was part of showing that when he says something will happen, it'll happen. Way back in Genesis 49, there was this prophecy about a king who would come from the line of Judah, okay, and he would rule. So it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples or obedience of the nations. Okay, so there's this prophecy of this ruler coming to rule over the nations. And by the way, it says, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. So here in this moment, Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy that has been in place for a long, 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 long time. And that's not only re- uh, revealing the, the, the ability that God has to make everything he says will happen, happen, but it's also pointing to his reliability, that what he said would happen, happened as well. And this is, 
again, this ties into something that's so important for us. If we're going to submit to Jesus as our king and then flourish under his rule, we've got to trust him. We've got to believe that he's reliable. And this demonstrates that along with all the different places in the Bible where what God says will happen, happens. And specifically with Jesus, the most important prediction I think we would want to look at is the fact that three times, at least three times in his ministry, he predicted that he would be killed and then he would rise from the dead. Right? Think about Mark 8.31. This is one of the places where he did that. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So, and then what happened, right? We're going to celebrate next Sunday, Easter Sunday, the fact that all that he said happened or all that he said would happen happened exactly as he said. So again, this reality that he said the donkey would be there and the people would say that and all that stuff, it just ties into that sweet truth of his reliability. If we want our lives to change, it's going to happen through bowing to him as our king. And that's going to happen as we really believe more and more deeply that he is reliable. I have a a buddy named Kevin who used to do youth ministry. And he talks about how there was a time when he had to go on a high ropes course. And he discovered something about himself when he was about two-thirds of the way up the tree. That he discovered that he's terrified of heights. And so he's... Up on this tree, and there's a line of middle school boys behind him, you know, yelling, go Kevin, go Kevin. And he's kind of frozen with fear. And he's able to get onto this platform where this young lady helps him get this harness all strapped into the uh, safety wire. And he was just terrified, even though he's kind of all wrapped up in this harness, he was just completely terrified of walking out onto this rope. And so she keeps telling him, you're fine. The harness is tight. You're, if you fall, it'll catch you. You're fine. You can rely on it. And he said that it took him forever, and he really wanted to go back down. Uh, but with all the boys screaming, he decided he would have to do it. So he steps out onto this rope. And he said he was grabbing the two ropes that go on the side uh, for, to help you with your balance. He said he was grabbing those so hard that he actually used up all of his strength and pretty soon he realized he didn't have any strength left halfway through this rope course thing and he falls and everybody you know panics for a second until the harness catches him and he's kind of dangling there uh, perfectly okay and so what does he do he bursts out laughing he just starts laughing as hard as he can he he says people thought probably thought he was nuts but he was just laughing so hard because he was so terrified yet the whole time he was totally safe he could totally rely on that harness And this is the same thing we want to recognize about Jesus, that when we are afraid to obey him, afraid to die to ourself and to really give him his rightful place as the king over us, the one who is meant to rule over us, we're so fearful. But what we see here is Jesus is reliable because everything he says will happen, happens. We can rely on him. Think about how this applies then to relationships, right? We have a lot of you know, a growing number of UCF students here. And it's in that age when a lot of times people get into relationships that may or may not uh, end up in marriage. And there's always going to be a question, you know, are are they going to go about this relationship the way they feel like they should or are they going to let Jesus rule over that relationship? And, And the good news here is that if they will 
submit themselves to the way Jesus would have them go about that relationship, that there will be flourishing. See, repentance is, is really turning away from relying on ourselves and our view of things and shifting to Jesus's and letting him be king and rule over us. And the promise is that when we do that, he's the one able to bring about flourishing in our lives as we submit to him. Because he's a savior. He's saving us from what our lives would be like if we ran them ourselves. Now, okay, so, so Jesus is reliable, right? But often I think we, we struggle because if we really think about Jesus is the, the true king of kings, if he really is the creator and sustainer of all things, then there is that deep fear within us about approaching him. I mean, we kind of have that fear about approaching anybody who's really famous or really powerful, right? Which is why I love to see that Jesus is not only a reliable king, but he's a humble king. Look at verses 7 through 10. Let's talk about how Jesus is humble. In verse 7, it says that they bring this colt, which we know is a donkey from the other gospel authors. They bring this colt to him. They throw their cloaks on it. He gets on it. And this is his ride into Jerusalem, where he's... Uh, demonstrating himself as king. And they begin to uh, shout, Hosanna. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. You see, they understood that he is coming as king. And that he's the king of this promised kingdom. Now, their understanding of the situation wasn't quite full yet because they hadn't, that Jesus had not been raised from the dead. But nonetheless, they noticed that they're recognizing him as king. Yet, at the same time, they're coming right up to him. They're able to approach him and be right in his presence. He is humble. Uh, and, and think about this. This is the prophecy that we usually talk about on uh, Palm Sunday from Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. And this is where Zechariah, 450 or 500 years before this moment, he prophesied how the king of Israel would come. And here's what he said. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so all these many years before this moment, Zechariah the prophet had said, this is how the king will come. So now the people, this crowd that's coming with Jesus towards Jerusalem, it's a different crowd than the one in Jerusalem that yells, crucify him, crucify him. This is the crowd coming with him. And they're shouting Hosanna. They're, they're saying he's the one. He's the one, this promised king. And they know him because he's riding on this donkey. And they're approaching him because, again, it's just... A donkey and a little one at that. And just contrast that with the way we usually think, see things in the world. You know, think about the president's motorcade. When he arrives somewhere, it's a bunch of black SUVs and flags and police officers and all sorts of stuff like that. And not just him, but like any world leader, when people arrive, it's a big deal. There is pomp. There is circumstance. I mean, it's always a celebrated thing. It's a, it's a, and nobody can get near them, right? Now think about, you know, Aladdin. Think of what did, what did Aladdin do when he wanted to come into the Sultan's palace and impress Jasmine 
and uh, and win her as uh, the, the to be her her husband, right? He didn't come in just walking in there. He he used one of his wishes to make him uh, into this uh, prince Ali Ababwa, right? And so he enters into the, this palace with. Tons of horses and tons of camels and tons of soldiers, right? And the genie is singing, Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa. And it's just like this huge production. Now, here's what's so ironic about that. It was all a show because in reality, Aladdin was just a punk, right? He was a riffraff, a street rat, even though he didn't buy that, right? So, um, so you got this... Punk nobody who's appearing to be somebody profoundly special. And that's the way the world works. So here's somebody who is now in the story of Palm Sunday. Here's somebody who is profoundly special. Appearing as someone who's normal. Humble. Riding on a donkey. The foal of a donkey's colt. It's amazing. Because what that does is it shows us that Jesus is a humble king. And humility says something to our hearts. Humility says, I'm here to serve. Do you see that? Like when you know, the, the most humble people you know, what you always expect from them other than their humility is that they like to serve. Isn't that interesting? So what does his humility communicate to our hearts? That he came to serve. And it's not just his humility, but it's his words. Because he was the one who said in Mark 10:45 that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, right? The opposite of the way we see important people in the world. Jesus came to be king, a king who is not served by his people, but a king who serves his people. So if he is going to rule over them, it's not for his sake, it's for theirs. It's for ours. And the proof of this is the cross, of course. I mean, think about where was Jesus' throne? Here's the king. He's entering into the place where he's to be crowned as king. And where's the throne? Well, as we normally uh, will think about on Good Friday, uh, when he was being tortured and taken to the cross, they put a robe on him. They put a crown on him. That's his enthronement. And the cross is his throne. If that doesn't tell us what kind of king Jesus is, nothing else will. That he is enthroned as our savior at the same time that he is enthroned as our king. So when we think about him humbly coming in on a donkey, his humility draws us to him and proves to our weary hearts that he is truly for us. The proof, again, that he died on the cross so that through faith alone we could be reconciled to God for all eternity promised eternal life, forgiven of our sins, declared righteous, but also that we would know that he is for us, not only in our salvation from hell, but in our life right now. That as he seeks to rule over us, it is not for his sake, it's for ours. Because he knows that as he rules over people, there's a flourishing. And when we see how humble it is, it liberates us to draw near to him, okay? And to trust him because he's reliable. 
And then third, to have our lives changed by him because he's effective. Jesus is effective. He's reliable. He's going to do what he has said he will do. He is humble. He came to serve. And he's also effective. Um, and here's where we're going to do, if you don't have your Bible, get it back out. We've got to look at a couple uh, passages. I want you to see this. And I want you to see it in your Bibles. Okay. Um, I want you to turn to Zechariah 9. It's on page 1013. And um, I want you to see something that may be new and kind of may help deepen your understanding of, of what Zechariah was saying in this prophecy that we always talk about on Palm Sunday. Because the reality is what Zechariah was talking about was not just giving us a glimpse of a king on a donkey so that we would know that he's the king. It's something deeper. It's something richer. It's something more beautiful than that. Are we there at that page, Zechariah chapter 9? So just read through this with me. I want you to see what Zechariah is talking about. He says, rejoice, starting in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, we know that part. But what happens if we keep going? Zechariah says, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And look at this. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Notice in verse 11, he talks about setting prisoners free. Verse 12, he talks about hope and restoration. Skip down to verse 15. Uh, the Lord will, uh, of hosts will protect his people. Look at 16, the Lord, their God will save them as the flock of his people, like jewels uh, in a crown. They shall shine on his land. And look at verse 17, for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine, the young women. Now, here's what you have to realize about this, that this passage then is not just predicting that the king comes on a donkey, but that when the king comes, as his rule and reign spreads from sea to sea, there's a restoration, prisoners go free, there's hope, there's flourishing. And this is not something that's unique to this passage or even this, uh, uh, even Palm Sunday. All throughout the Old Testament, there are uh, so many uh, times when we see the word in the Old Testament, the word shalom. Uh, in the New Testament, it's the word peace, irene uh, um, uh, in the Greek. And these words are bigger than we would normally think of peace. A lot of times when we think of peace, we think of the absence of war. But the, the biblical view of shalom or peace is a flourishing. It's a wholeness. It's a completeness. Which means that Jesus is not only the one who delivers us from hell, which we all deserve, and we receive that deliverance by grace through faith, but he's also, the minute we really trust him, he begins to rule over us. And that flourishing that will come in full in the new heavens and new earth begins even now. 
So here's what this says to our hearts. It says, bow to Jesus as your king for your own flourishing. That's the kind of king he is. He will rule us in such a way that there will be flourishing. Now, you might say to me, well, Matt, I, I, uh, I, I, I trust Jesus and I'm trying to live by his word, uh, but I don't know that I'm flourishing. And I think that sometimes. But then I also think of the fact that there are we have these clear pictures in Scripture of people who should have been languishing but are flourishing. Meaning that even in situations where you would imagine the person to be very distraught, very sad, very um, even depressed from their suffering, is able to flourish. Let me give you an example. Think about this. This is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Most of us probably have Philippians 4, 13 memorized, right? I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me, right? Tebow used to put on his eye black. It's not about football, okay? In context, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here's what I love about this. You, you bring in what Paul's saying. And we realize that Jesus is the kind of king who not only shows us what to do so that we might flourish, but then he empowers us to do so, having united himself to us through faith. So that Christ is in us, so that it is through him that we are able to do these things. And so here's this picture of Paul saying that whatever situation I'm in, he's able to be content, he's able to be even happy, he's able to even be flourishing, right? And so when we wonder if it's our life circumstance that needs to change for us to flourish or if we just need to trust Jesus more and even bow to him even more, this is a very challenging reality because what it says to us is the more we bow to him, even in our difficult circumstances, we learn from him and we're empowered by him to experience a flourishing even in the midst of struggles. And so Paul says this, right? But Paul also does this, okay? Uh, uh, Turn with me to Acts 16. It's on page 11. 77. I want you to see this. Acts 16. It's on page 1177. I don't hear enough pages turning, people. You want to see this, right? This is Paul uh, living out what he is saying in Philippians 4. Okay, Acts 16. It talks about this, how they had seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate uh, customs that are not lawful for us as Romans or to accept and practice. Okay, now I just want you to think about how things are going for Paul right now. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. How are we doing? And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So so now they are naked, they are bruised and beaten, they have their feet in stocks, they can't move. And then the very next verse is absolutely mind-blowing. It says, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, of course the prisoners are listening to them. These guys are in terrible shape and yet they're singing. Their feet are locked up. They're bloodied and bruised, but they're praying and they're singing. Paul's elbowing Silas and he's saying, come on, man. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. Now, I know that wasn't written for 1,500 years, but still, it's my favorite. But they're singing. In the midst even of their suffering. Now, I look at that, I want that. And I think you want that. And it comes as Jesus rules over us. If there's one thing we know about Paul is he was just enamored with Christ and strived by the power of the Holy Spirit to bow to Jesus as king, to let Jesus rule over his life. And that's what happens is as we bow to him as our king and let him rule over every little area of our lives, the more that that happens through him who's in us to empower us, uh, the more we see that flourishing, where regardless of our circumstances, we are content, we can flourish. Think about this way this impacts marriage. Um, uh, if, you know, at times when, our, when we're really struggling in our marriage, uh, we want to think, or we tend to think, if, as soon as the circumstance of my marriage gets better than I'll be, then I'll flourish. But actually, God's word would say, no, the more that we surrender our own hearts and our own lives and die to ourselves and bow to Jesus as our king, he will then rule us in such a way that we can flourish in our marriage. Or think about finances. Right? How often do we think that we know exactly how we should try to deal with our finances and we very, it's sometimes we struggle to, to give to people in need or to our church. But the promise is, as we let Jesus rule over us, as we let him rule over our finances, then there will be flourishing there as well. It's, you, you take any area of our lives, any corner of our lives, and what we can be sure of is that as we bow to Jesus as king, there will be flourishing. I'll give you one example of this. Um, speaking of finances, I remember... Uh, at a Thanksgiving service. You know how we do a Thanksgiving service every year and we bring something that represents some way in which God has blessed us or protected us or provided for us. You know, we're, we're showing our gratitude. And it was a, at a recent one of those and this couple got up and the wife was holding this key and she had said that uh, the story they told was that they were in debt and they were renting and they wanted to get out of this situation where they were renting this home and they just desperately wanted to uh, get into their own home as well as be out of debt. And at the same time that they were really trying to figure out how they could begin to make this happen on their current income, they felt the Lord uh, laying on their heart a conviction about giving to the church. And so they, they wrestled and they wrestled, but they, by the grace of God, decided to bow to King Jesus over the way he was 
commanding them to uh, deal with their financial resources. And what happened is they, they began to give to the church at an amount that they felt God was leading them to give. And then over the course of the next year or two, God provided in really shocking and weird ways. And, and suddenly they're out of debt and they're able to save up for a down payment. And then the key she was holding was to their new house that they had finally moved into. And I'll never forget her tear rolling down her face. That was the tear of flourishing. Not saying that if we give, then we get rich. They're not rich. I'm just saying that it's one example of whatever area of life it is, we give that over to Jesus, let him be king of that area, and in that area, in time, you will see flourishing. Because, again, back to Zechariah 9, he's not only the king who came riding on the donkey. He's not only reliable, he's not only humble, but he's effective. When he rules, there's flourishing. And that's what I want to believe this morning. It's also why I hope my friend calls, because I cannot wait to offer him, not tips on work-life balance, but to offer him a king who will rule him into flourishing. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and acknowledge the difficulty we all have of really dying to ourselves and bowing to Jesus as our king and letting him truly rule over every aspect of our life, every nook and cranny of our existence. But would you, through your spirit, empower us to give more and more over to his rule? Would you let us be uh, retrospective and look back and see the ways that as we have obeyed, there's been flourishing? And would you let that And most importantly, your word convince us to take steps of faith towards even more relinquishing, even more control of our lives to the one who can do with our life way more than we ever could on our own. Let us bow to King Jesus and let us flourish for your glory and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.